Good morning again. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 17 this week. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. Before we read that together, let's pray together one more time. Our Father, we do pray that you would hear our prayers, but we pray right now that we would hear your word, that you would open our hearts and minds to receive what you have to say to us in the scriptures, uh, to receive the, the wonderful things and to receive the hard things, uh, that uh, you, by your spirit, would uh, convict us and encourage us. And most of all, point us to Jesus, our Savior. Uh, Father, we pray that you would do that now by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Well, when I was in art school, I remember seeing a painting, a medieval painting of Henry IV, and he was kneeling in the snow begging for forgiveness from Pope Gregory. And if I remember correctly, and if I'm not just imagining the existence of this painting, which I haven't been able to find since then, the point of this medieval painting at the time was to show the power of the church over the state or the supremacy of the Pope to the Emperor. Now, if nothing else, this shows that confusion over the relationship between church and state is nothing new. And this confusion abounds in our day with even Christians disagreeing over the relationship between the church and the state. And to be fair, it's a difficult issue. And we're not going to solve it this morning. Of course, this confusion is nothing new, and and it goes back farther even than a thousand years. In fact, it goes back even to the early church. Peter, in the letter of 1 Peter, which we've been looking at for a number of weeks now, he's speaking to a collection of little communities, communities dotting Asia Minor, a part of the larger Roman world. And the Roman world at that time was known for its emperor worship, the so-called imperial cult. And Gentile Christians would have come out of various kinds of paganism, of which worship of the emperor was one part. This would have led to two types of temptations for them. Uh, on the one hand, right, you, you, you might be tempted to go along to get along. Uh, you know, I'll keep bowing to the emperor's image and doing the things that I need to do and just hope that nobody notices that I've actually changed religions. 
Or the other temptation is to rebel against the local Roman ruler because of Rome's pagan commitments. But Peter, speaking into that, he calls his readers to a decidedly different way forward. He wants these little churches neither to capitulate nor to rebel, neither to give in nor to fight against. And Peter instructs his readers that as sojourners and exiles, they are to submit to the governing authorities for the glory of God as an exercise of their freedom and as one part of their communal life. And you'll see, if you want to follow along on the back of the bulletin where the uh, outline is, you'll see those are the five points that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, As sojourners and exiles, submit to authorities for the glory of God as an exercise of freedom, as one part of our communal life. So first, as sojourners and exiles. Um, By the time that we're done with 1 Peter, you will probably be tired of me using the word exile. You may be tired of me saying this world is not our home, but we are strangers and aliens here. And if you don't get tired of me saying those things, it probably means I didn't say them enough. I don't know what it's like to be a physical sojourner or alien or refugee or exile. I don't know what it's like to be displaced in the world. Uh, I guess my closest experience was when I went on mission trips to uh, the Czech Republic or Turkey. And in both places, I found myself in a world with a a different language, a different culture, different values than I was used to. And it was, uh, needless to say, maybe disorienting. But according to Scripture, Christians do not belong here and now. You see, Christ came into this world, into this present age, and he he died for sin. Having been subject to the governing authorities, both Jewish and Roman, he was put to death. He died in, and therefore to, the present age. Once he was dead, he was no longer a part of this world. But God raised him from the dead. And Jesus' resurrection was not just the continuation of his previous life. The resurrection is the beginning of a new life. Really, the inauguration of a new age, a new kingdom, a place where sin does not reign and death is not the end. Jesus died as a citizen of earth, but he rose as the first citizen of heaven. Or we could say Jesus died as the citizen of the earthly Jerusalem, but He rose as the citizen of what the New Testament calls the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city. And when we come to faith in Christ, we become citizens of heaven, members of the household of God. This is the way Paul puts it very straightforwardly in Philippians 3.20. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Or in Ephesians 2.19, he says, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Of course, what Peter emphasizes in just a few verses before our text this morning, in verse 11, is that by becoming citizens of heaven, we become sojourners and exiles on earth, meaning that the world sees us as strange because our lives are marked by living according to the standards of a different age, a different world, a different kingdom. And I back up to verse 11 just momentarily to point out that everything that we're going to say this morning is in light of our status as exiles and sojourners, and so in light of the resurrection. 
what we're going to look at are not simply universal moral principles, uh, but, but moral principles that are grounded in historical events, the events of the cross and the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, we are sojourners and exiles. But this brings up the question, how do we then relate to the governing authorities of this age? Since we are citizens of heaven, are we free from obedience to the governors of earth? Or on the other hand, since our citizenship is in heaven, does our behavior on earth just not matter? Of course, Peter's answer to this question is without equivocation, and this brings us to the second point. As sojourners and exiles, to submit to governing authorities. Submission. Peter's big application for what it looks like to be a holy priesthood, to live a visible life of good deeds, to live as sojourners and exiles, is to be subject to submit to every human institution. Now, I have to say, it's not what I would have come up with. Uh, My outline for being a holy priesthood in the world would have looked like bearing witness to the world through extravagant acts of love or living a life of prayer and praise and taking all things captive for the obedience of Christ. Uh, My outline for a visible life of good deeds would have included talk about serving my neighbor and living a life of radical self-denial so I could do more good in the world. My explanation of our our lives as sojourners and exiles would have been focused on setting our minds on things above and setting our hope on the coming resurrection. Now, of course, Peter doesn't deny any of these things, but this is not what he says. Peter's first point of application is this, that our doing good begins with obeying the government. It seems a bit anticlimactic to me. But let's look at that. Let, let's, uh, I want to ask three questions to help clarify what Peter is talking about when he says, be subject to every human institution. So we'll just ask briefly, what are the alternatives to submission? What does it mean to submit? And what is a human institution? What does Peter mean by that? So first, what are the alternatives? Uh, Peter's readers would have been tempted, again, to two things that we just mentioned They would have been tempted to reject Roman rule because of its pagan foundation. And this was the mode of the zealots uh, in in Jesus' day. They wanted to overthrow Rome, cast off its restraints. And they would have been tempted, on the other hand, to capitulate by participation in the imperial cult. That is, bowing down before and worshiping the image of the emperor so as to avoid uh, sticking out both the social stigma of not joining in and potentially and eventually uh, civil penalties for, for not doing so. And so these two options on the table for most people would have been reject or capitulate. And what does Peter say? He says, be subject to every human institution. And in saying this, Peter actually answers both of these false ways of being in the world, as we'll see. And so what are the alternatives? Reject or capitulate. Second, what does it then mean to submit? Submission is really very simply to place oneself under the authority of another. It's actually not hard to understand, we just don't want to do it. It's a word that is consistently used of subordinates to their superiors. And this relationship is not about intrinsic value or worth or ability, it's about authority and order. 
So Jesus submitted to his earthly parents. That in no way uh, implies their superiority in value, worth, or ability. But they were his superiors in the sense of those in authority over him. And so we're told explicitly he submitted to his parents. He was subject to them. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, this word is used repeatedly for God subjecting the nations to David, for people submitting to God, and for God putting all things under the feet of humanity in Psalm 8.6. And it's this last verse that is picked up in the New Testament as referring to God placing all things under the feet of Jesus or subjecting all things to him. This word, right, is about submission. In, in the New Testament, it's used of us to God, of the church to Christ, even the Son to the Father in 1 Corinthians 15, and children to parents, and so on. And Peter says, in no uncertain terms, we are to be subject, to submit to every human institution. And, and we could very easily replace that with the term obey. Uh, Jesus obeyed his earthly parents. We are to obey God. Children are to obey their parents, and so on. Though, if anything, the term uh, submit is actually broader. Uh, the Psalms use the word to refer to waiting on God, interestingly enough. That is a submission to his will and his timing. And that's more than obedience. It's not less, but it is more. Now, lest you think that this goes too far, especially as we talk about submitting to governing authorities... Uh, I have one more question to ask about this submission, and that and the next point will actually qualify it a little bit. So just, just hold on. So what are the alternatives to submission? You can reject it, uh, authority. You can capitulate to it, even when it asks you to do things that are wrong. Uh, what does it mean to submit? It means to place oneself under the authority of another, to obey. Third question, what, is, what does Peter mean by a human institution? Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Okay, what does that mean? What is a human institution? Well, the the ESV, the NIV, the NASB, the King James Version, the New Living Translation, and the Message all have some form of that phrase, human institution or human authority here. But I want to point out some have actually rejected that translation because the word there is uh, a Greek word for creation. Sometimes it's translated creature. And so some would say it should be every human creature, be subject to every human creature, which would be a a legitimate translation of the word, uh, though odd to talk about human creatures. Those who do that sometimes want to say that this is a call for a general submission to everyone. Of course, the problem with that is the word begins to lose its meaning at that point. Submission is about the relationship between those in authority and those under authority, as as we've seen and as we could show from Scripture. It's better to understand the phrase, then, as as human creation. I'm not sure whether that means something created by humans, that is a specific form of government, or something created out of humans, again, that same government made up of people. But either way, you end up at a human institution. (laughs) That's what Peter is talking about. And and even if we're not exactly sure of the precise way of taking these words, it's pretty clear why Peter uses them. Peter calls the emperor a human institution. Now, in a day when the emperor was worshipped as divine, them's his fighting words. Peter brings the emperor down twice over as a mere human being, and for that matter, a created thing. 
Right? He's actually bringing the emperor down a few notches and putting him on our level. And so Peter says, as sojourners and exiles, as those who have been taken up in the resurrection of Jesus into a new age, those who are citizens of heaven, you are neither to capitulate to, the, to emperor worship nor rebel against the emperor's rule. Rather, you submit to him as a created human being. Now, you might think, okay, that's, that's great. This is historically interesting, but practically irrelevant. But really, it only takes a moment of reflection to realize that we, too, are tempted both to rebel against our government, or at least question their authority, and to place all of our hope in government, which is essentially to worship it as God. So Peter says, no, no, right? you, you are citizens of heaven, sojourners and exiles here. Submit to the government, yes, but as a created human institution, nothing more. And so we, we don't place our hope in the government, but neither do we pull back from it. We submit. Now, to understand this a bit more, we need to move on to the next point. We need to know why. Why should we submit? So, uh, having spent some time on, on this point about submission, actually, the final three will go a little bit more quickly. So, as sojourners and exiles, submit to authorities for the glory of God. Now, th this phrase, uh, for God's sake, found in verse 13, or for the Lord's sake, puts a significant qualification on our submission to the government, doesn't it? Uh, some people are uncomfortable with the language of submission because it feels kind of too all-encompassing, but this puts definite limits on that. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake. And in verse uh, 15, he says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. See, Peter wants us to, to submit for God's sake and according to God's will. And what this means is any instruction that does not further God's name, so not for God's sake, for the Lord's sake, and because it's not in accordance with his revealed will, should not be followed. Uh, as Peter says early in the book of Acts, we must obey God rather than men. And the point is not that we can willy-nilly reject the decisions of authority figures in the name of God, though that's our temptation sometimes, uh, but that whatever directly contradicts his word, that is, whatever would be sin to do, we must reject. It would be a misuse of this to say, I, I don't like this or that policy, so I'm going to find a way that, that it's a contradiction of God's will and then reject it. <laughs> um, there will always be some who will say that any participation in the system is complicity, a corrupt system. Uh, but the New Testament doesn't shy away from saying, look, pay your taxes. And that to the Roman government, which used the tax money for all kinds of immoral purposes. Nevertheless, Peter says, be subject. But the goal of our subject, uh, of our being subject, is to further God's plan. Specifically, Peter says, our submission is one part of our doing good, verse 15. And by it, we silence those who ignorantly and foolishly oppose, oppose Christ and his church. Uh, in, in other words, our, our good work of submission bears witness to God's work in us. And so, when rightly understood, stops the mouths of those who oppose us. Because they see God's work in us. Peter has already said that this is not an absolute. Some will oppose the church until Christ's return, according to verse 12. But others will see their folly when they see our humble submission. 
And of course, how could it be otherwise? We serve a God who took on humanity and willingly submitted to his parents, to the religious authorities, to the civil authorities, all as an act of his submission to the Father. He did this to the point of death. And now he calls us to do the same as a testimony that we belong to him. We submit because he first submitted. So be subject for the Lord's sake, that is according to the Lord's will, doing good. What we are to do in that, whatever governing, the governing authorities tell us to do, within their sphere of authority, as long as it doesn't directly contradict God's word. Now, that may seem like, it may feel like it stifles our freedom, at least the way we define freedom today. But stifling our freedom is, or not stifling our freedom, is not a qualification that Paul puts on governing authorities, which brings us to our next point. So as sojourners and exiles, submit to authorities for the glory of God as an exercise of your freedom. Most of us, I think, have a hard time putting subjection and freedom together. They seem to be opposites to us. We define freedom as freedom from all restraint. But the freedom to do as you please without interference from government or other people is not actually what the Bible means when it talks about freedom. Biblical freedom is not freedom for sin, but freedom from it. And biblical freedom is not freedom from community, whether civil or ecclesiastical, but freedom for it. And so Peter says in verse 16, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. See, true freedom for Peter is to live as servants, servants of God. Christian freedom is, is freedom from sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from condemnation. Jesus died to these things at the cross. He overcame them in the resurrection. Christian freedom then is now a freedom to be who we were made to be, to live as image of God in the world, as part of Jesus' restored humanity. Christian freedom is freedom to pursue life as beings made in God's image, not freedom to pursue sin. The pursuit of sin is never freedom, by the way. Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave to sin. To pursue sin is, a, is not a picture of freedom, but a picture of slavery. And so Peter would say, we must not use our newfound freedom either to capitulate to the world around us and so sin against God, nor to reject the world around us and pursue our own way and so sin against God. Rather, we use our freedom as God's servants to submit to those whom he has placed over us to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And so how do we use the freedoms that we have? How do we think about those, whether the spiritual freedom that we have in Christ or, of course, the political freedoms that we enjoy? If we use our freedoms to sin, Paul says, we submit ourselves again to a yoke of slavery. As we've seen for a few weeks in Peter, identity is key here. Who are we? We are servants of God. We are never without restrictions. We are servants. That is who we were made to be. And true freedom for us looks like living as servants of God. Right? It, it's a counterfeit freedom that says, do, what, do whatever you want. 
Maybe because those who say such things are unable and therefore not free to do what they ought. But for freedom, Paul says, we have been set free. So live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now again, a few moments' thought shows this could be no other way. We worship a God who took on human flesh not to be served, but to serve. He came to make us into servants of God, not enable us to serve ourselves. Jesus did not come so our current lives could be better. He came to rewrite the script, to repurpose our lives altogether. Our lives are no longer about us. They are about God. We are servants of the Most High who live according to His will and for His glory. As Peter has already said earlier, we are a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. And so as sojourners and exiles submit to authorities for the glory of God as an exercise of your freedom, the freedom that we have in Christ. And fifth, as a part of our communal life. With all this talk of submission, it, it might begin to sound as if this is, we're saying this is the extent of the Christian life. And uh, especially if you're visiting with us this morning, you might wonder, is this all you guys ever talk about, submission? Because I might not come back if so. <laughs> but Peter recognizes that danger as well. Though he is going to talk about submission actually for another chapter, believe it or not. But first, he gives his exhortation some context. He says, submission to authorities is just one part of what it means to live in community with people around us. And so in verse 17, Peter describes four relationships. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This uh, little poem of sorts is actually pretty carefully constructed. The first two phrases have to do with our relationships to our peers. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. We're called to honor all people, but we display a greater intimacy with our Christian family. Love the brotherhood. The second two phrases have to do with those in authority. Fear God, honor the emperor. The middle two terms right, have to do with our, our sacred responsibilities, as it were. Love the brotherhood and fear God. And the bookends have to do with our, our secular or common responsibilities. Honor everyone, honor the emperor. And, and let me just point out two things. Uh, first, note the obligations. Peter basically says we have certain obligations toward all people. To some we owe honor. To others we owe love. To God we owe fear. To earthly rulers we owe honor again. And second, notice another subtle, maybe not quite a jab, but a subtle jab at the emperor. Honor everyone, fear God, honor the emperor. God, as an authority, has a unique place. Fear God. The emperor, as one man among men, does not. We honor everyone, and we honor the emperor as well. He is like them, and so he gets treated like them. Honorably, to be sure, we give honor to him as we do to all others who are also creatures created in the image of God, worthy of our respect and honor. Now, don't forget the context of all this, right? Jesus came. He subjected himself to his parents, to the Jewish religious rulers, to the Roman civil rulers. He did it all for the Lord's sake, that God would be glorified in his life and death and resurrection. He, he went to the cross. He died, but he also rose, 
When he rose, he received all authority in heaven and on earth as the first fruits of the new creation. And now Jesus reigns as king, all things being subjected to him. We who belong to him as sojourners and exiles have become citizens of heaven. And so we obey earthly authorities because we belong to a new age. We go where our Savior went so that we might be where our Savior is. We live as our Savior calls us to live so that we submit to earthly authorities as an expression of and a witness to our submission to Christ. And so how do you think of our political rulers? We are called to submit to them and to honor them, irrespective of whether we consider them honorable. We submit in honor because of the, uh, because of the position that they have. But we must not hope in them or worship them. They are mere men and women. Christ alone is the only ruler worthy of our worship and our hope. And so as sojourners and exiles, as citizens of heaven, members of the household of God, submit to the governing authorities, human beings and creatures though they be. Do it for the glory of God, for his sake, according to his will. And as an exercise of your freedom, not buying into the foolish notions of freedom that are in the air, but living out our freedom from sin for a common life. And do all of that as just one part of this common life, even as we're called to honor everyone, to love our church, to fear our God, and to honor those in authority. In that way, God will be glorified, and those who speak against us, as Peter says, will be silenced. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would teach us the goodness of submission. Help us to see it in the glory of Christ, in his willingness to submit and to obey, even to the point of death. Help us to take up our cross and follow him. Help us to, uh, to follow him in that, to obey him in that, by submitting to those whom you have placed over us in the world. Help us to do this by your spirit. We confess our, our, our knee-jerk pride and uh, unwillingness to submit. And we pray that you would soften our hearts and fill us with your spirit, that we would honor you in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.